today, I think if it's okay with you, Julio, we'll, instead of our normal uh, breakfast or coffee time, we'll, we'll focus on our potluck after the service. So if you'll get ready for that a week from today, and we will hopefully as many who can contribute meat and potatoes, and um, we will look forward to eating together after the service, and we'll pray that those ladies who have signed up will have a good time on Saturday. Again, don't forget about that that free ticket. Don't forget to let Christy know about your attendance at the carpool. That would really help her plan for that. Okay, Luke 18. Look there with me again, and let's just, uh, we've read this. Let's look at a couple of verses before we pray and get into this with the Lord's help. Look at verse 25, Luke 18, 25. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that truth. We see it throughout Scripture that we are weak and you are strong. We pray for your strength and our weakness even now. Lord, help us in your word. Uh, We need you. We need your word. We need each other. We need the church. What is impossible with man is quite very possible with you. Help us, Lord, to continue in light of the Lord's Supper, to continue to focus on your grace in Christ Jesus, which we see so clearly displayed in the bloody cross of our Savior. We pray that you would help us. We know that in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit has been uh, poured out. We pray this morning and recognize our dependence on you, on the Holy Spirit. Pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Martin Luther said that a man needs to be converted twice. The first conversion is that of his heart, and the second one is of his wallet. So our text today is Luke 18 and 19. Our text is Luke 18 and 19. Our subject, you could say, is money. And here's a, uh, here's a thesis sentence for you, or a key statement, okay? Here's a bit of a thesis sentence. Wealth is not evil. All right? Wealth is not evil. 
Why are we looking at this this morning? Let me just share with you from my mind a few reasons uh, why we're looking at this passage this morning. Where does this sermon come from? Well, hopefully the Bible, right? Where does this sermon come from? Anytime that we can be in the Gospels is fantastic. It's always a good thing. Sometimes on Lord's Supper Sundays, we may have a special sermon. This is kind of one of those standalone sermons. Also, and probably primarily uh, because of some reading and studying that I've been doing. As I've been helped to think about this particular subject. The Bible says in another place in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26... Let me just repeat what I said again. We're Luke 18 and 19, we're talking about money. Wealth is not evil. Just stay with me and we'll see what the Bible says. And as I say, in 1 Corinthians 1.26, it says this. You don't have to turn there. Listen, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. That's 1 Corinthians 1.26. So there's this lady, I always love this story, there's this lady called Selena Hastings. She was the Countess of Huntingdon in the 18th century. She was born in 1707. And based on this passage, 1 Corinthians 1.26, not many of you were wise, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. This Countess said this. She said, blessed be God. It does not say any mighty or any noble. It says many mighty many noble, she said, I owe my salvation to the letter M. Right? You get it? Not many of you, Corinthians, Paul says, as he's writing to them there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They didn't have the chapters. We do. Not many of you were wise. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And this countess says, I owe my salvation to the letter M. One thing that we've done as a church over the past couple of years, on, on Wednesday nights in particular, is that we've been helped by a brother named Jim Neuheiser. Jim Neuheiser teaches at a Reformed Seminary in Charlotte, and I think he's one of the pastors at a, a Reformed Baptist church there in Charlotte. He's got a good book about marriage that's really helpful, and maybe even more helpful is his similar book uh, on finances. And it's just really helpful. We benefited from it might have an extra copy if you need one. Um, but Jim Neuheiser, as we're thinking about money this morning, he, he asks this question. He says, what are the potential blessings and dangers of wealth? Okay, What are the potential blessings and dangers of wealth? And just very quickly, here's what he says. He says, we must maintain a balanced perspective on money. He says this, he says, it is hard to be poor. Poverty can bring spiritual danger. God offers hope to those who are poor. There are benefits to being rich. I'm just, you don't have to like remember these or anything. He says it's hard to be poor. Poverty can bring spiritual danger. God offers hope to those who are poor. There are benefits to being rich. He says wealth can be very dangerous. Wisdom is better than wealth. Money love, that's a hyphenated word, money love leads to all kinds of evil. That's a good summary. 
Luke 18 and 19 is our primary focus. We want This morning what we're doing is we're looking at Luke 18 and 19, but that's not the only thing that we're doing. That's the main thing is Luke 18 and 19, but that's not the only thing. And so as we think about this thesis sentence, wealth is not evil, the first thing for just a couple of minutes is this, is Proverbs and wealth. Let me just, uh, let, these, uh, just let these wash over you, okay? I'm just going to give you some Proverbs. Again, you don't have to turn there or anything. If you want to mark down the references, you can. You don't have to do that. So before we look at Luke 18 and 19, let's just think for a few minutes about Proverbs and wealth. Listen to these verses. Isn't the book of Proverbs wonderful? You, you know that some people, because there's 31 chapters, they might take a month and read a chapter every day. And it's, just, it's about wisdom. And it's about the fear of the Lord. So Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Do you hear that? It's Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5. A slack hand causes poverty, like laziness. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 14, 24. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Proverbs 11.4 Take this to heart. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 28.27 Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Proverbs 16, 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 28, 6, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Can I say again, Proverbs eleven four again, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death even the righteousness that comes from God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ. Proverbs 23, 4-5. Listen, take it to heart. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Don't toil to acquire wealth. Have enough discernment to stop. Stop! When your eyes light on it, it is gone. Look at that. Look at that pot of gold. Poof, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. And if there is a, I know this is not the right usage of the term, but if there is a grand poobah of all of the verses in Proverbs about wealth and poverty, I think it's this. If there is one passage that summarizes it all, it's in Proverbs chapter 30, 7 through 9. And listen to what it says. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Give me neither poverty nor nor riches, he says. So, to summarize, the, the teaching of Proverbs on wealth has been summarized like this. I just gave you a lot of verses. How could we summarize it? Well, here's how one man summarized the teaching of Proverbs about wealth. God blesses the righteous with wealth. Foolish behavior leads to poverty. The wealth of fools will not last. This is not very prominent in Proverbs, but we can still say poverty is the result of injustice and oppression. Those with money must be generous. Wisdom is better than wealth. Wisdom is better than wealth. Wealth has limited value. Wealth has limited value. Well, I thought it was important for that. Luke 18 and 19. We've looked at Proverbs and wealth. And now, secondly, as we think about wealth is not evil. Wealth is not evil. Why do we say that? We say that because we, and especially we as Christians, might be tempted to think it is inherently dirty. Let's look to a surprising passage. Look at a surprising passage that actually ends up teaching us, at least among other things, that wealth is not evil. So in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is interacting with this rich man. He's called the rich young ruler. And in 1818, he says, and you know the story, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal. He said in verse 21, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Let's stop there for just a moment, which is not totally different. It's not totally different from the gospel call given to everyone. The gospel call from the Lord Jesus Christ given to everyone is to, to be willing to to give up everything and come follow me. So in one sense, it's not different. In another sense, it is different because he says, listen, he says to this man in particular. He says to this man specifically, right? What he doesn't say to other people. And what is that? He says, you, you man, you rich young ruler, one thing you lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, You will have treasure, come follow me. Verse 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. He was extremely rich with great wealth. There does come great temptation. Well, and then he goes and talks about this camel and the eye of the needle, and you probably heard that passage Possible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for 
that to happen than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Maybe you've heard this passage before, and and maybe you've heard it explained like there was this, there was the wall, and there was this, actually there was this small little opening in the wall that was actually called the eye of the needle. And so what it's actually talking about was something that was actually real, and the camel had to be, the person riding the camel had to get off the camel and to help the camel stoop down to, and it was possible, it was just really hard. I don't know if you've ever heard that. That's kind of just not true. That's just, there's no evidence for that. Jesus is using a metaphor, and his point is, ultimately his point is, it's impossible for anybody to be saved. That's, ulti- that's ultimately the point. Who can be saved? Rich man, poor man, it's impossible apart from God. But, praise the Lord, with God, all things are possible. With God, it's possible for a rich man who idolizes his wealth to become a servant and a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And there is a lot in the world, and dare we say in the church, there is a lot of wealth idolatry. If there is wealth idolatry, then then you're not a Christian, and you need to be converted, and God saves idolaters who are greedy and covetousness, or who are covetous, and he changes them, and he makes them generous through the gospel. And, and it's impossible for a poor person to be, to be saved apart from the grace of God. It's, it's not by works, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, so that no one would boast. It's by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In his sacrifice, this is symbolic this morning of what he accomplished once and for all. Once and for all on our behalf. On your behalf, sinner. Do you know yourself to be a sinner this morning? No, he's using a metaphor. He's not talking about a camel. It's actually possible because you can stoop. He's saying a camel cannot go through the eye of a needle. That's impossible. The point is not to find, well, it's possible in 2% of cases. It's impossible in 100% of cases. But the thing that I want to point out here is we're familiar with this story. I read earlier, this is also part of our text, I read earlier the story of Zacchaeus, uh, which is Luke 19, 1 through 10. And there in Luke 19, 1 through 10, in verse 10, we, we highlighted Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We need to read Scripture together. Listen to me. And we need to see that the question that is asked, the question that is posed back in chapter 18, in chapter 18, verse 26, who can be saved? I mean, if rich people can't be saved, I mean, the book of Proverbs says, wealth is a sign, if not the sign, of the blessing of God. Do you see? Wealth is the sign of the blessing of God. So if rich people can't be saved, and they're the most able to give alms and to give to people, and that pleases God, and well, then who can be saved? We're meant to read these two stories together, is what I'm trying to say. We're meant to read the rich young ruler, Luke 18, 18 through 30, Luke 18, 18 through 30, and Luke 19, 1 through 10 together, 
Because what you have here, listen to me, is not here's a rich guy and here's a poor guy and the poor guy's more spiritual because riches are bad. No, what you have is not that. You have two rich guys. Oh, and by the way, Luke talks a lot about the poor and he he denounces the rich. That's clear. But Luke, Luke wrote Luke and Acts. He wrote Luke and Acts, and he wrote both of those books to one man named Theophilus. Stay with me. It is very likely that Luke is writing as one rich man to another rich man to show this rich man and other rich people like us, regardless of your station this morning, in the West, we have an abundance. We have an abundance in the West, so it's, it's quite likely, if not almost a done deal, that one rich man, Luke the physician, is writing to another rich man, Theophilus, Luke 1, Acts 1, instructing him on how to use wealth with generosity to be a follower of Christ to please the Lord. He shows over and over again, as it's been pointed out in Luke and Acts, rich people who get it and rich people who don't get it. And in Luke 18 is a rich man who doesn't get it And in Luke 19, with the story of Zacchaeus, is a rich man who does get it. You know what I mean when I say get it? Is that only by the grace of God, sola gratia, grace alone, faith alone, only by the grace of God, Zacchaeus in Luke 19 gets it. And who is he? He's a rich man. And he gets it. And he's short, and he climbs up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, and he looks, and he said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. So with God, all things are possible. With God, all things, it's possible, it's possible, there is potential, listen to me, there is potential danger in great riches. And really, I'm going to say it again. One of the main things I want to say is, yes, we can talk, absolutely, we can talk about America and in the church and in this room. We can talk, there's different levels of wealth. But there is a, there is a sense, is there not, in which compared to world history and compared to the world today, I know we hear this, but it's true. We hear this, but it's true. Compared to world history and compared to the nations today, have you, have you eaten recently? Have you had any comfort whatsoever? And so I really do want to, I'm, my point is not to harp on anybody, but to say we are those to whom the Scripture speaks about wealth. We are to receive the warnings. We are to receive the warnings and we are to receive the instructions about being generous because there is no generosity that can match the generosity of God who gave His one and only Son who was rich, remember? Remember what we read earlier? He who was rich became poor so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? You know what's fascinating is at the end of the rich young ruler story, what's that, Luke 18, 18 through 30? Listen to this. It is also possible not only for a rich man to be saved, Zacchaeus, 
It's also possible for people to answer the call to give up everything. It's also possible that the the rich young ruler did not do this, but it is possible. Look at verse 28, Luke 18, 28. And Peter said, see, we left our homes and followed you. What's he doing? He's saying, Jesus, you're over here talking to this rich man and you told him to leave everything and he wouldn't do it. But what about us? Because we have done that. How did they do that? Because they found the Lord Jesus Christ so beautiful and so compelling that they said, this is joy. This is joy. Jesus is joy. I'm going to leave everything. Leaving everything to follow Jesus is not in the last result hard because you get everything. You get Christ. You get God. And Peter says in Luke 18, 28, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not enjoy heaven. That's not only what he says. He says in verse 30, who will not receive many times more in this time. Dear friend, I don't know where you are this morning. You may be saying, man, I am going through a hardship, a hardship physically. I am going through a hardship financially. The Lord knows way better than I do. The idea is, does the Lord God have your heart? Does he have your heart? If he has your heart, then he will have your pocketbook, right? And he says, regardless of what you have left in this life, in this life there will be suffering as a Christian. And regardless of what you've sacrificed for me, he says, in this life, in this time, you will receive many times more what you gave up. Not to mention, not to mention in the age to come, eternal life. I've already mentioned Martin Luther. Randy Alcorn says this. Randy Alcorn says, Martin Luther compared humanity to a drunkard who falls off of his horse to the right, gets back on, then falls off to the left. This is mankind. Mankind. Falls off his horse on the right, gets back on, falls off on the left. Asceticism is falling off the horse on one side. Materialism is falling off on the other. Greed, covetousness, falling off the horse on the side of materialism. Things. You're worshiping, listen to me, you're worshiping and serving the, cre- the creation rather than the creator who is blessed over all. Romans chapter 1, materialism. Dear friend, you will die and go to hell for eternity under the wrath of God if you choose money over God, over Jesus Christ. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot Satan, this is Martin Luther, Satan does not care which side of the horse we fall off as long as we don't stay in the saddle. Scripture portrays the relationship between the material and the spiritual not as either or, but as both and. The material must not take precedence over the spiritual, but it is nonetheless a necessary and legitimate part of our existence. What's he saying? As he's talking about that big million dollar word asceticism. What's asceticism? It's that the created things are evil. Sex, food, ultimately these are evil. Money, it's evil. And the Bible says, no, sir. No, sir. Created things are good. Created things are to be received with thanksgiving by God. 
So there is a danger not only of materialism, but there is also a danger of asceticism. Created things are evil. Money is evil. Money is neutral. Money is good. We must be very careful. As those who in many ways are rich, we must be very careful. We also must be careful not to say that wealth is evil in any inherent way. Do you hear me? Why? Why does it matter? Because of the teaching of the Bible. Because of what God has said. Because of how we live our lives. I need you to turn to one final passage. Acts chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Very quickly, so where have we been? Wealth is not evil. Number one, Proverbs and wealth may be summarized in Proverbs 30, 8 through 9. Lord, I'm asking you two things before I, before I would die. Keep lying and falsehood far from my lips and give me, you remember it? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Because, Lord, listen, if I know my heart at all, if I know my heart at all, that's a hard prayer to pray, by the way. If we're honest, we don't want to pray that prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. But he goes on to say, if you give me riches and God is sovereign, and listen to me, God determines the poor and the rich. Lord, if you give me riches, then I might go astray from you in my heart. And I might trust in riches. I might trust in riches and that will send you to hell. But Lord, if you give me poverty, then, then there's, there's equal danger. There's, there's manifold dangers on that side as well. So give me neither poverty nor riches. God help us. This is, not, this is life and death. Folks, this matters. This is life and death. This, this balance. You cannot get this balance on your own. It must come by the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we looked at Proverbs, and then secondly, we looked at Luke 18 and 19, and we saw that actually we read the Bible, we read bigger chunks, and we read the Bible in context, and Zacchaeus is not just a great story over here, and then you've got the rich young ruler, but they actually are meant to be read together. And and we see that it is possible for a rich man to be saved, Zacchaeus, and the point, the point is that nobody can be saved apart from God's intervention. By the way, can I just share this with you very quickly? Kevin DeYoung has been a lot of help to me, and I want to read this to you. Remember, we're here in Acts. We're about to close in Acts. You're in Acts chapter 5. But listen to this first. Remember, Luke wrote Luke and Acts. Luke was a physician. He was probably a man of means. He was writing to Theophilus, who was very probably a man of means. DeYoung says this, Luke was not a poor man writing to poor people that together they might denounce the rich. Hey man, I'm poor, you're poor. Let's call down the rich. We're going to call them down. It's much closer to the truth to say Luke was a rich man writing to another rich man 
and people like him in order to show how the rich could truly follow Jesus. In order to show how the rich could truly follow Jesus. Acts 5. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So if you know the story, what's the sin? What's the problem here? What's the sin? That they brought um, a certain amount of money and not more money? Nope. Lying. Deceit. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan, Acts 5.3, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Wait a minute. What did you just say in verse 3? He said, you lied to the Holy Spirit. What did he say at the end of the verse 4? You lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. We have one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And I'm going to stop right there. You know the rest of the story. Same thing happens to his wife. She comes in. Here you go. I'm going to do something great. I'm going to do something. I'm going to put this money. We sold this land. I'm going to put this money. Was it sold for such and such a price? Yep, for such and such a price. You're lying. You're dead. Same thing at the beginning of the Old Covenant. This is a little tidbit. At the beginning of the Old Covenant, God shows His holiness. At the beginning of the New Covenant, in Acts 4 and 5, God shows His holiness. God doesn't play games. And so He kills them. He kills them. Ananias and Sapphira were rich people, listen, who didn't get it. They were rich people who loved money more than God, and they met their fates. I'm going to build bigger barns. This night your soul will be required of you. You should be rich toward God. But then again, there's two rich people here. Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas at the end of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verse 36. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. You see that in Acts 4.36. Barnabas, again, we are 99% sure this was a man of means. This is actually the story before Ananias and Sapphira gets all the attention. This is the story. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And he was above board in everything that he did. And he didn't lie and he didn't deceive. So again, Luke is doing the exact same thing that he does throughout Luke and throughout Acts. He's not saying, here's a rich man and here's a poor man and rich people are inherently evil. <laughs> We're all on the same playing field. We're all sinners. See, no, what he's doing here is he's saying, here's a rich man, Barnabas. and Here's a rich couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And this rich couple doesn't get it. And this rich man gets it by the grace of God. And what does it mean to get it? It means to give up everything, to be willing to give up everything and to follow Jesus who died on the cross in our place. And it means that grace so takes hold of us and transforms us that we overflow with generosity 
And the Bible says even those who are poor can overflow with generosity. The Macedonians, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Out of extreme poverty, their generosity overflowed. See how we sometimes gloss over these things in Scripture, but there's so much here. There's so much here for us. And so, if there, is there one final word for this whole matter? Is there one final thing? Here it is. Timothy, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, just listen. Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And let me just turn that into an immediate exhortation to you, just simply using Scripture here. Dear friends, you who are, no doubt there are differences even among, among us, no doubt, but we in the West who have an abundance let me charge you, do not be haughty. Do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Set your hope on God. God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I have to become a monk. I have to become a nun. I have to give up. I have to become literally poor. Nope, normally not. God gives us richly everything to enjoy. Do good. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Store up for yourselves treasures as a good foundation for the future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. Jesus Christ is truly life. We cannot serve God in money. But we can serve Jesus and be generous. Let's pray together. Lord, would it be clear, even this morning, those who know you in truth and those who do not, and would you in your love and in your kindness for those in this room who do not know you, Lord, would you graciously and kindly expose that so that they would see for the first time that they really have sinned against you and deserve your condemnation that they would run to you for mercy through Christ Jesus and through his shed blood on the cross. And Lord, by your grace, would you continue to so transform your people so that we would overflow with generous. We thank you that you are the God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And may we do so for your glory. Oh Lord, may we give serious thought to these things. Where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.